All right, day number three. I'm a little bit hungover today, which hopefully will not be to the detriment of the show. I enjoyed very much talking to Slow Days. Alex Fish last night, he had some great stuff to say, and I hope you've had a chance to check that out. If not, you'll get find it on Spotify in a few days when I get around to putting, uh, putting the shows out on Spotify. Tonight, we are going to talk to the front man from the Black Delta movement, Matt Bear, who has been doing things in the whole music scene for longer than me, so well over 10 years. So let's chat to Matt and find out what he has to say. Evening, Matt. How's it going? Hey, mate. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Are you? Yeah, not bad. Not How's bad. lockdown treating you? Uh, yeah, boring. Are you just still at work, or you've just, you just got every every hour of every day to yourself? Yeah, I got furloughed, which has actually worked out quite well for me. So, getting paid for doing fuck all. Yeah, I'm, but, in, the same, <laughs> I'm in the same yeah, boat, it's, man. It's, it's quite nice, because it's the first time I've probably had been to like, sit down and write songs without like working a, full, working a full day, and then going you know, to my lock-up on a night or whatever. So, it's, it's quite nice to kind of treat it like an actual job, rather than a, you know, a night shift. I think it's what, I think that's what all of us sort of wanted all along anyway, isn't it? Just yeah. to be able to spend 24-7 oh, yeah. on it and do what you can with it. Yeah, that's it. I, it's just trying to grow. That's the thing. I'm, I'm pushing myself. That's all I'm trying to do now, really. I've got the time for it. Good stuff. All right, then. Well, I think we should start at the beginning because uh, you've been going with Black Delta for over 10 years. And Not, I first uh, met you. Almost, almost 10 years. I think our first rehearsal was the 11th of July, if I remember right, 2010. But I first met you when you were in the 303s, so that was before the Black Delta movement days. Yeah. When did you start playing music? And what, first of all, tell me a bit about the 303s. And I think when I first met you, you were the first person in my age group that was making music. So you were like one of the first people that made me think like, hell, I can do this. Uh, nothing, I'm not saying anything negative <laughs> about it, uh, about you there. But yeah, I just mean, yeah, like... I thought it was possible watching you do what you were doing, and I've watched you grow since. So yeah, let's start from the beginning. Three or threes. Well, I was at school, and um, my dad knew a guy called Tom Guthless, and his daughter had a band um, who would rehearse right near where Odeon is, and I and they asked about me going and playing guitar. I remember my dad suggesting it. I was like, oh, no, 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 because I was like shitting myself about like going to rehearsal, especially with like four kids, well three kids who one went my age and two went to all different schools. You know, all that so I was like I was breaking I must have only been about twelve, something like that. Um but from there like we I think we did two gigs, like the first the first proper one being at Delphi and that was the first one I ever sung at. And I was fucking dreadful. I was awful. I was really, really bad. But um, still am. But um, then from then, anyway, uh, Becky decided to leave and wasn't what she wanted to do. And then me and Chris went on to do the three or threes, um, gig for a few years and kind of cut my teeth at it a little bit. And I, I think whilst it wasn't a great band or anything, it, it, I learned a lot from it. 
and uh, and then it came to a point in I made the decision in May 2010 uh, just to quite quits because I, I stopped enjoying it. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something heavier than that, and I'd already had a rehearsal with the BDM um, a few months previous, but we only had two rehearsals. So split the band up, and then I thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a while without the band, because I couldn't be asked with it. And then uh, I got bored, and then met Dom, and then we got rehearsals sorted, and then we were gigging by September. So it, it was... Uh, I'm grateful for it, to be honest. At the time, it was a bit of a chore because I was like, I was like a young kid who was playing in pubs and stuff like that. Where I'm thinking, this, this is a fucking pub. I want to be playing, you know, big venues, or whatever. But you know, what fifteen year olds going to do with that? Um, no, you've got to, you've got to cut your teeth somewhere, and uh, you've got to. Well, yeah. I guess you've got to do the the shit gigs and sort of make your mistakes there. Okay. And then I was the same with you know the the bands that that I'll have been knocking around in when you were in the 303s. I remember remember a night at the Sailmakers. I'm not yeah. sure whether you'd put the show on, but I know that it was one of the first gigs that we'd done outside of school at yeah. the top on the top floor of the Sailmakers, and you had us on support. It, yeah, um, it, was, it was you and uh, this, that, and the others, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, we didn't have a bass player, so Fez uh, jumped on bass. Didn't have a clue what he was playing, but I just thought, there's a bass player on stage, so it's got to work. Work. I mean, I can go one better than that. One of the first gigs we did at school, we had a bass player for one of the three songs that we'd learnt for that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he, he played one song and then put the bass, he lent his bass up against the amp after that song, walked off. We started the second song just as his bass started to feed back against the amp. So we had to quickly switch that off and then restart the song. But that's like what I say, it's the, it's the mistakes you uh, you make when you first kick things off, isn't it? God, yeah, hundred percent. There's all these little things where, you know, there's no the amount, you know, say say a young band comes to us now, and says, you know, can you give us some advice in it? And and we reel off all this shit like, don't leave your guitar against the amplifier, don't get hammered before you go on stage, don't wear fucking shorts, you know, tune your guitar. Yeah, that's it. All things like that, but they'll never ever take it on board until it until they have a bad experience with it. That's a very true. I'm the same with everything. Everything I do, I don't really listen to advice that much. Not as much as I should do. Well, we're like we're like wise heads now. We've been doing it for that long that you have that sort of mental checklist, don't you? Before you go, before you go on, Uh, you don't even get chance really to get nervous before playing because you're thinking, right, where's this? Where's that? Have I done this? Have I done that? And then by the time you've finished that little to-do list. It's uh, it's time. It's showtime. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, gigging's just work for me now. I don't, I don't necessarily. I get, I get nerves, but I don't. Um, I don't break it like I did before. And I don't think it's even like a distraction thing. I just because I don't really get excited. It's not. It was not that I don't enjoy it. I don't appreciate it. But it's just. It's another day at a really good office, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to put it. I get nervous sometimes, but it tends to be like a, a good Humber Street sesh slot or something like that, where you oh, think, yeah. right, we've got we've got one shot at this to impress yeah, not just our people, but also the people that are wandering past, and we want to keep them interested for the whole set. I get nerves, but they're the best type of nerves. 
the ones that make your fingers land on the right fret at the right time. No mistakes. Those well, nerves are really good. I, I, I wonder sometimes if that's actually nerves or it's just like anticipation. Like, I remember when we supported the Stranglers at City Hall and um, like, I saw my first ever gig at City Hall when I was eight. So like going on there, it was, it was ace. And um, we didn't get any beers, if I remember right, before I got on stage. And I'm not a big drinker anyway, but for a gig like that, you want two or three beers don't you, to like, loosen up a bit. And I remember being backstage and my dad, obviously, if anyone, if anyone doesn't know, um, my dad's our manager. And he comes up to Barry Army and he does that. I went, not now, Dad. Because it's just like the thought of being touched, you know, like almost like when you got flu and like your clothes hurt, any kind of contact with somebody was like, I don't know, it was, it felt, it felt like it hurt, it was weird. And um, I didn't, I didn't remember anything from that set. I remember going on stage, I remember someone yawning mid set, and then I remember walking off. <laughs> I think it's adrenaline, it's not nerves, you're right, it's adrenaline, isn't it? Yeah. That probably explains those like heightened senses that you had when your dad patted you on the back. It's just yeah. adrenaline and you've got that surging through your veins before you go on. And that helps, really? that adrenaline helps you with everything. If you, if you cut yourself, you don't feel the pain because you've pumped full of adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it, that's it. And uh, I, I mix that brush really because there's no, no feeling ever comes close to that. And like, I, that's when I, I struggle when I come back off tour because I'm so used to, so, so this time last year I was on tour in Europe and I came back and I just like nosed out because I was so used to like, like 14, 15 days of that feeling day in, day out. And you get hooked on it, don't you? It's, it's weird. And I think someone who doesn't play music maybe doesn't necessarily understand it. Cheers, Elliot, by the way. I, I grew it myself. Fantastic beard. <laughs> All right, then. So for anyone who's not aware of what you or the Black Delta movement do, uh, could you sum up the band quickly for me? Um, who's been in it? Uh, what you've done today and your, your sort of favourite memories so far? <laughs> um, so I formed the band, I don't know, it, it's an act of, uh, a bit of a different, a weird one, but our first gig was... Uh, September the 11th, 2010, the Freedom Festival. It started out with a kind of like blues rock and roll band. Started edging into psych, and then I'd say now it's probably more like a heavy garage, uh, heavy garage rock and roll band with twinges of psych. Um, released the first album two years ago. Um, and we've had a few lineup changes and stuff, and it's been like, you know, stressful at times, and... You know, it's been, it's been brilliant. You know, we've, we've toured Europe three times. We've played in Russia. We've played, we've toured Ireland. Um, toured the UK numerous times. All stuff like this. Like, I've, I've had some of the best experiences I could have ever wished for in 10 years of this band. Um, and I've played with some really amazing people. Um, whether it be people we've supported or whether people who have been in the band. And... Um, I've got to be grateful for it, really. Um, so I'm just moving forward. We've got a, a new lineup together now with uh, three tip-top fellas. Um, so we've got Sam Millers and Matty Laws from Girl Afraid and Josh Drury from um, Little Blue Thula. So anyway, we've had we've had a few rehearsals and everything. It's been it's been it's genuinely enjoyed it because I haven't played with anyone else since the 28th of May last year, which is the longest I've been without gigging or playing with anyone since I was about 14. 
So it's, it's been weird. So it's nice to kind of get back into it. But now it's a kind of, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say it's become like a solo thing because I, I suppose I'm, I'm the only like original member as it is or whatever. But um, maybe it's just become more of a collective now. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I am going to come back in a little while uh, to lineup changes and stuff like that and, and how you've dealt with that. Um, but for the time being, obviously, we can't get out and gig because we're on lockdown. Yeah. Um, and you have done something that I would quite like to follow in your footsteps and do, which is to tour elsewhere other than the UK. You've been to Europe, you've been France, Italy, Switzerland, Russia, Ireland. Yeah. Um, what's the best place to go? Where, where, where's your favourite tour memories been? And what's it like playing to an audience that uh, has likely not heard you before? Um, so Moscow was the strangest, I think, because we, I mean, the gig didn't get announced until fucking about a week, two weeks before the gig. And we were kind of, we were kind of thinking like, you know, we're going to Moscow, it's great, it's a free holiday and stuff, but we're thinking like, we're going to get to Moscow, we're going to play to like three, three blokes and, and, you know, and nothing else. Then we're going to go on. And I remember, like, when we got there, Nash, uh, Nash, Olga, and Natalia, who looked after us, um, they, um, they kind of picked us up, took us to the venue, and we said about what's going on with soundcheck, and um, Nash said, "Don't worry about it. Um, just come back at eleven o'clock." Right. Right. We were on at two. I think it was like two o'clock, one o'clock, or two o'clock. So I went back to this apartment, which was like literally over the road from Red Square. And then um, we went back at 11 o'clock and it was heaving. Like you couldn't move. It was so busy. And like, I remember we got on stage and it was a tiny stage. It was like the size of my bed. And um, it, it was just insane. Like people really, really going tits for it. And there, there was one girl. Um, oh, God, I feel terrible now. I've had a, a complete brain fart, but as soon as I remember it, I'm going to have to message her and apologise. But she travelled five hours to come see us. Um, Ludmila. Ludmila. Um, she sure. travelled five hours to come see us, and then she wasn't allowed in. Oh. So we had, we had to go um, go let her in, and she's an absolute sweetheart. And uh, So that was like one of the most surreal, but I think generally is like a consistently good country to play in. Um, France. France is absolutely class. We've only done one show in, in Germany, so I can't comment on that. But I mean, our our last second to last show of the tour last year was in uh, Nantes, and it was unbelievable. Like the the crowd were literally not to sound like a wank or anything, but the crowd were there, you know. And like they just everything were getting everything back. It's better than um, most crowds we've had in the UK. But like Switzerland's ace, and we've got. Some really great friends we met over there when when we toured in 2018 called the Solar Temple. Um, I forget whereabouts they're from in Switzerland, but they're just the nicest guys. And, and we did a show with them in Alton and we had a real good time. I had a few drinks with them after and everything. And then later on in the tour, we were playing in Kreuzlingen. And they'd asked to get on the bill with us. So we ended up having like another party with them. It was Ace. And that was actually the gig where we got fanned by the Swiss police for. Um, for being overweight in the van, which... That's not very nice of them, is it? 
rude cunts. But, uh, <laughs> mate, that, that was, say, in fact, speaking of experiences, that was the most mental, I think. We've, we've had a lot. We've had like, fights in vans and, I don't know, it, we've had nutcases jumping on stages or whatever like that. But that, I remember we got pulled over as we left Alton. And then, they basically, they, long story short, they waved the van. And it was like half, uh, half a ton overweight or something. So the finders, he's like 750, 750 quid, whatever that is in France. It was like, right, be on your way. So I went down to Italy. We played maybe three or four shows in Italy. And then we're coming back and we're driving to the Alps. And it was like one of those things, like, you know, on the Great Escape when they're flying away and they're going through all the mountains and, and shit like that. It was like that. And we're looking out windows. This is beautiful. And then we get stopped at the border and they go, um, Go on that way, bridge, please. So we go on it. And they said, right, you're after to overweight. You either pay the fan or you or you do one. So like, okay, we'll, we'll go. So we turned around and we worked out we could drive right around Switzerland and go back into Kreuzlingen where that next gig was because that was directly on the German border. And I remember before when we left it, I noticed there was a few checkpoints. And this, we played there the year before. A few checkpoints that weren't guarded. So we drove 16 hours around Switzerland. And uh, yeah, credit to the driver for that. But then when we came in, instead of turning off at the, um, at the quieter checkpoint, he went through the most guarded. And we got pulled over again, we got fined. So in total, we got fined one and a half grand. Um, we had to get taxis to the venue with some of the gear so the van was underweight. And then the next day, we, we, the people at, um, at Horse Club in Kreuzlingen had um, they put like a, a charity thing together for us. So they put, everyone put money in, which was real sweet. <clears throat> and um, the next morning, one of the guys from the venue was supposed to drive with his van some of our gear over the border so he could, oh yeah, I'll put it in our van and go, go again. He didn't turn up. So we ended up getting another taxi, got over the border, and as we start setting off, I'm there, and I remember we're, we're loading the van up and there's all these police just over the road, thinking, oh, fucking hell, we're going to get done again. We got away, and then next thing we know, the driver's showing, we're going back into the checkpoint. He's taking the wrong turn. He's going back into Switzerland into the same checkpoint we got done before. So we pulled over to Lorry Park, and like, I'm, I'm a stroppy bastard, uh, and I, I hold my hands up to that. But there's this point where I was thinking, I cannot afford another 250 quid. So we're suddenly this thing, you know, one member's crying, the other one's laughing, the other one's getting stressed out about it. And I end up just saying, look, just shut up. Let me think about it. So I go for a walk, and I notice there's a gate open. And this gate goes to a field that goes across to Germany. So <laughs> we had to get all the amps and carry our amps across to Germany while the driver drove around and met us on the other side of the border, underway and everything. And then we're on our merry way. And I remember... Um, I could have cried, and I did. I, I had a breakdown. It was horrible, but looking back, it was hilarious. It's a real good anecdote. It's like the least rock and roll trouble with the law or customs story I've ever heard. Mate, I wish I did drugs so I could like, justify it by that. We've got one and a half kilos of amps. Yeah, that's it. That's the thing. I've got a half a ton of half a ton of uh, Fender Twin Reverb officer. But uh, yeah, that was that was a real mad one. But it's, like, ironic, it's ironic as well because Switzerland are quite eco-friendly and you ended up having to drive 16 hours around the country. Well, this is it. I mean, I dare say if we had Nazi gold in the back of the van, they'd probably let us through. But 
but uh, yeah. that's another that's another conversation. It's uh, um, it's interesting how you mentioned about the the crowds in Europe. It sounds like they've got a bit of a different culture to what we've got in in the UK, and I, I don't want to. Uh, uh, you know, say anything negatively about the crowds that we play to at home. Um, we have regular faces and stuff like that. But obviously, a lot of the time, you, you have to have that awkward, please may you move forward, there's a bit of space down here to, to fill up sort of thing. And it's also, I don't know whether it's because there's a lot of us making music in the UK and maybe the market's oversaturated and there are too many gigs. I don't know what are your thoughts, but it sounds like in Europe, the they go out to listen to some music and have fun rather than uh, yeah. being dragged along because they're friends in a band sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's literally, um, we're spoiled. Every band comes through. Um, every single fucking um, band always comes through England and we always kind of, we're always like, we'll see it next time. You know, we'll see this band next time, whatever like that. And over there, it's like they just appreciate it more. And it's, I don't know whether, I mean, I don't know much about the music scene necessarily over there, but when we, um, when we do go over there, it's like they, they do appreciate the, the buy merch, they come to the gigs and then they're not too cool to dance. You know, and like get into it and, and cheer you. You know, it's um, yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's a funny one. I, I think I think it's literally that they appreciate it. And it, it, when you look at like, uh, I think France. Well, I know France. And I don't know about a lot of other countries, but it, a lot of the venues are state funded, so that they invest money so they can pay artists properly. And when we go over there, we get like a, a fee that actually covers the expenses. We get accommodation, we get fed, you know, all these little things. It, it's it's lovely. Um, and then, you know, you tour England and we get, you know, 10 it bottles does. of wine carlin. You know, it's, it, I don't know. I, I, and like I say, I, I think in England, we're, we're so used to having great bands playing every, you know, look at, at like Sesh. We have amazing bands every single week. But that's a massive outlier because there's no other night that gets a crowd like that consistently. Not that I've seen in the UK. Uh, you know, every Tuesday and it rammed out like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just think that, that's why I love touring Europe is because they just, they enjoy it more. And it, it's, a, it's a holiday for me as well. You know, I'm getting to see parts of the world that I've never seen before, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the fights in vans, but I don't really want to ask you to wear your dirty laundry in public like that. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave that for the imagination, shall we? Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a long time ago. It's 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 funny uh, in essence, but at the same time, we could have probably died. So <laughs> that could have been fun. All right, then. So moving back to lineup changes. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, you are the last remaining original member of the Black Delta movement. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, lineup change is something I've had to, to deal with recently. And it's been like, I don't know, it's been like a whirlwind of emotions. Like you, similar to when you go through like a relationship breakdown, you have stages where you're a little bit angry about it, uh, stages where you're feeling upset about it. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, that, that it'll never be that good again sort of feeling or, 
I'll never yeah, get yeah. to go. Similar to how you, you know, like when you remember a holiday with someone and you think, oh, I'll never go to get to have that time again. Maybe a little bit sort of looking in the past about it. But yeah. I've, had, I've had that sort of feeling about it. You've obviously had a few different lineups yeah. now. Oh, wow. Do, have you ever felt like you had the one as far as lineups go? And how have you dealt with those, the emotions that come with somebody saying, this isn't for me anymore? I don't know. I mean, I've been lucky, really, that I've, we've, we've always had really, really like, talented people who I've had a lot of fun with in the band. Um, but I, I completely agree, though. It's like sometimes when people leave a band, it's like a relationship breaking up. Because, you know, when they, when they leave, it's the kind of thing where, like, I, I know certainly after like certain lineups have gone, I've, I've kind of had this thing where I'm thinking, oh, is it me? Um, and like, I get upset because, you know, obviously, word gets around. And when you start hearing people that people are, are saying pretty horrible shit about you, um, it hurts. I mean, we're all mates now. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's weird because like, I, I kind of went in phases where, like, sometimes I was real, well, most of the time I was really upset that they left. But then I'd go to go like two or three days resenting them to fuck because they'd left. And then I think, well, no, fair play. They, they didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I wouldn't I won't want to say with certain people if it was the one, because I don't think it's fair on other people. You know, if, if I said, you know, one particular drum was my favourite, you know, it's not fair on the other people who play this stuff. But every person, I think, around the band has always brought a really kind of new tinge to it. And sometimes it maybe won't, didn't hit the nail on the head or anything, but it's still, it's, it's certainly broadened my horizons with it. Um, and there was a point, certainly last year, um, I kind of said, if there's another lineup change now, I'm, I'm giving up. But then I, I think I just fell into writing your album. And then um, Sam and Matt had, had come to me, um, must have been July last year, and said, look, we'll play with you if, you, if you're looking for a new band. So I was like, nice one. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I suppose I'm just at the point now where I just, I just want to enjoy it. And I don't, I, I don't want to like have the emotions there where it's like, like I have the kind of resentment with people and stuff like that. Because there's one, one of the worst things is, is, is kicking somebody out as well. And I've only done that once. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was horrible. Uh, the, the person deserved it, but it, it, it wasn't very nice. But, um, but I was like, oh, Christ, that was years ago, years and years ago. I don't know. Band politics is no fun because there's not enough money in it to keep you all together. And there's also no hotel room big enough for you to have your own space. You know, so you, you do get each other's throats a bit. And I, I know I'm really hard work to be in a band with. I know I have my moments where I can be a like, moody fucker or something, or I want to be on my own or whatever. But, you know, if people can, if, if they can uh, like me at my worst and all that. I think uh, something I've alluded to, at least in the last couple of evenings with Matt and Alex, uh, is that the older I get, the more as you said, the more I want to just enjoy like the ride and, and, and try not to take it too seriously. But I think 
the more time goes past after something like a lineup change or somebody leaving and having to move on, I think the more you can sort of tidy those emotions up, whether it's sadness, anger, resentment or what have you, and then sort of get down and then and then understand, oh, actually, I feel frustrated because, or, or at least for me, frustrated that it takes so long to put together, I hate using this word with music, but at the moment I can't think of anything better, a product that's good enough to either put out digitally or physically and take around the country or the continent live and play to people. It takes a lot of time and effort to get that product into place and like firing all on all cylinders. For me, I think one of the things that I was not looking forward to was the potential like for like loss of momentum. And thankfully, this this lockdown situation has sort of totally eradicated that worry for me because it's given me the chance to reset, get things in the right place, and sort of take things a day at a time. But yeah. how do you feel about? Because I know for me, the idea of asking somebody to join the band and and we're in sort of like a fortunate position where we've built two bands that people know the names of people enjoy the music of mm. and you don't want to start again no and i mean for you as you've said you're the original you're the the last remaining original member so as you said if there was one more lineup change i'm going to knock it on the head I'm sure you wouldn't stop playing music. You'd probably start no. a new project with a new name and some fresh ideas. Mm. But I know for me that asking someone to join or having someone new join and then being like, right, here's 12, 15, 20 songs for you to learn. This, this is what you do now is a little uncomfortable and you want to make use of what talents they bring and yes. what fresh ideas they bring. How do you strike that balance between wanting to carry on giving your fans or your listeners what they already enjoy out of your back catalogue and bringing in the fresh ideas from the new people? That's a good point. Well, the thing is, like, I'm, a, I'm a real stickler, and I learned this from Jack White, for watching what he's done about the Rack and Tears and White Stripes and Dead Weather and stuff, where like every band's got to have it, like, its brand. <clears throat> and like Hans and Monkeys another one where if you're gonna do it you rebrand at certain points or whatever. Um so like certainly with the BDM, like I got, it got to the point where I know it was it was when um Jake Tillerson joined years ago. He didn't have a drum kit, so I bought a drum kit and I thought, look, if there's a drum kit here, because at the at the time I, I didn't think it was gonna stick around because I thought he was he was always so busy with his other stuff. Um and I was glad he did, you know. But anyway, I had this drum kit. And then certainly, like, last year, um, Charlie Morrow joined, and he didn't have a bass amp. So I found this 1970s Fender Bassman. I was like, right, I love that. And then I thought, again, because he was only going to help out for a few few shows, like. Um, so I kind of got that. I thought, look, whenever somebody new comes in now, the bass sound stays the same, the drum sound stays the same. So, like, I, I am a bit of a stickler for, like, getting things right. And there's there's room to manoeuvre because, obviously, not everyone plays the same. But um, I, I, it's important to me to keep the BDM's identity. Because, like I say, I mean, it, 
I, I started this, I think the very first rehearsal must have been about 2009 with two kids. And like, I wanted it to be like a, like a heavyish Queens of Stonehenge kind of thing. So like, it's like, and it took me like five or six years to probably find the sound. So when we finally found it, it was kind of thing like, right, this has got to stay now and I've got to make this work. And with this new album, I'm going to like move it along. But like with the, with the new lads in the band, there, there hasn't been a single point where I've had to kind of say, no, you're playing it all fucking wrong. You know, you, you sound, this sounds shit or whatever. It's, you know, they get it. So it's real nice. And to be honest, everyone I've played with in the band, yeah, I think everyone in the played the band really has got it. Whether it's whether it's been interpreted slightly different, it's always ended up kind of being down the same avenue. So it's always been quite... I've been lucky with that, really. I think that's important. When we were looking to replace Sam on bass recently, we, we practised with a couple of people. And for me, Eric, our new, our new bass player, um, he was so sympathetic to the songs that we'd written already. Um, and playing them like the right way with the right the right tone, mm. and like you say, it's it's awkward or it's not something you want to have to do to turn around to somebody when they've learnt however many songs of your material anyway and taken the time to do that. You don't then want to turn around and say, "Oh, please, could you be more like him?" Yeah, can you, can you sound like that guy? You you sound a little bit too much like you, and it's not what I'm looking for. Like he came in with that sort of like sorted already and then added elements of his own flair anyway, just to check yeah. it up, like bass spill here and a little riff there. Yeah. Things that at no point like overcomplicated or were unnecessary, just sounded sounded cool and I yeah, liked them. I think when it comes to any playing any kind of music, nobody gives a shit how many notes you can play in a second. Nobody gives a fuck the fact that you can play, you know, 13 fucking notes in, in the bar, you know? Yeah, that's it. I, nobody wants a fret wanker. So, like, I, if you can be tasteful with it, and, I, like, I, again, I've been lucky to, like, learn shit like this from, from friends of mine or whatever, but it's it's all about settling back because it's a band, you know? Nobody wants to hear a drum solo every four bars. Nobody wants to hear a guitar solo through every verse. So just settle back and shut up, you know? So that, that's the only thing. And, again, I've... I've never had too much of a problem with it because I think also like I'm quite vocal with it as well. Just like just settle back, kind of thing. Um, just let the song do the work. Yeah, I agree. It's especially talking about drums. It's the it's the basic beat that makes the difference, not the fill that comes at the end of the oh, part. I, I write every song starting from a drum beat all the time. I mean, well, look at look at you guys with Danny. He's solid as a rock. And that's yeah. it. Originally, he came from metal bands. So the first few years, yeah. there was definitely a lot of having to say, okay, that, that fill is three minutes too long. Can yeah. you make it Stop a Stop half a second? <laughs> but, but over the years, we've absolutely like come up with a language that works for us. And he, he knows like what our genre of music requires on the drums. And yeah. getting that sort of relationship with people is definitely something that helps uh you mentioned um it might have been me that mentioned um asking or having a lineup change having a lineup change and then having 
a bank of material good to go. Mm. And then naturally you want to write new music all the time and you want to get your new people's influences on, on those and stuff. I, in Let Me Loose, we've, we've released two EPs, volume one and two. We have recorded volume three and three seems like a good number to sort of cap that off. Especially yeah. with lineup changes, it seems like the right time to sort of put those together yeah, yeah. in a collection and say, okay, these four blokes did this and mm -hmm. now it's these four blokes and they're doing something different. I, we've spoken about uh, a Let Man Loose vinyl release in the past. Yes. Um, you're one of these people that has has made it happen you've you've made bdm on vinyl a thing yeah out of your own pocket which is as i'm finding out a difficult thing to do an expensive thing to do and when you're spending that much money it has to be right so i know that you've been a record collector for years talk to me about yeah first putting fair wow wow what a collection Talk to me about first putting uh, a vinyl out and the things you need to think about and how it feels to get them delivered in the post and take the shrink wrap off for the first time because I'm excited for that moment. It's, um, you, you've got to be conscious of what you would actually buy. Like, our first vinyl was the trip. We did a seven inch of it. <clears throat> and it was because Kim Foley had actually asked, uh, like, said to us to do it. Well, we did a cover and said it was to him. He was like, oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, I mean, the biggest one I'll say, actually, is seven inches do not sell. Don't bother with seven inches. Um, but everyone, uh, since, with our stuff, like the Seven Circles one, it didn't turn out exactly how I wanted, really. But even then... It, it's, it's tangible, you know, you, you want to, um, it, you don't feel, yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's it, it, it's, I mean, the, the kid who did the design on that, um, Jordan, it was, I mean, he didn't, he didn't want credit in or anything, but he did an amazing job, and it, it, it was just exactly how I wanted it. Like, I wouldn't have done anything on Standard Black as a first pressing, because it's, Boring. I know it's cheaper. Yeah, there we go. And then... Um, it's orange for people that are unable to watch the video. <laughs> yeah. But it's like orange, but it's supposed to have black in the middle. But the uh, the pressing pan didn't do it very well. So you only see the black if you hold up to the light, um, which wasn't ideal. But uh, when, when we did preservation, um, that was the kind of... It, it became man and Dom's kind of little... Passion project, really, because that's that's when the biggest lineup change happened, and then I I kind of just took it on myself, and I thought, right, well, I want to make this nice because this could be the last last album I'm ever a part of. So we we kind of did it right, and you know, truthfully, I I, I couldn't have done it without my old man, really. Um, and then we we got it pressed, and I, you know, we got it in a sleeve done, so it looked real nice. And we got obviously the um, the first the first pressing that's sold out now, that the swell vinyl, it all looked great. And looks absolutely was... cracking for those again that can't see. It's a black and white, crazy psychedelic swirly vinyl that looks. Sorry, Matt. Oh, it's all right. You paid for it. 
But yeah, this is it. Like... I didn't actually. I didn't actually. Your dad was going to pay us when we supported you at your album launch, but I said just chuck us a record and forget about it. Oh, fucking hell, you silly idiot. You should have taken the money, you'd have got away Yeah, more. well, you live and you learn, you live and you learn. Well, that's very kind of you. Well, technically you paid for it, but I appreciate it anyway. Um, but yeah, I think that the way that final was, though, I think that was, that was the reason why it sold out, is because it wasn't just a, a boring black final, you know. Um, and it, I mean, there was, there was a little touch in that, um, from like a personal thing as well, because it was it was that year, 2017. We were supposed to go on tour with Little Barry, um, and the day before the tour, um, my dad pulls up. We were loading the van up. My dad pulls up, and I said, uh, "Lads, I think you need to just go inside a minute." And Rich, who's Little Barry's manager, but he's now our manager, um, he had rang Dad and said that Virgil, the drummer from Little Barry, had passed away. He had a heart attack and. That was it, like, it's out. It was a day before the tour. So, and that was, like, it was a real heartbreak. And then I credit to, like, Barry with this as well. Like, I remember when I, the next time I saw him was at Virgil's funeral. And he apologised to me for it. And it's, you know, so we've got a tribute to um, Virgil in there. And then the, a massive one is obviously Dave Carter. You know, he, he passed away in the December of that year. And, um... That was the the tribute to him in there. So that he, the the record's got a lot, a lot special uh, to me with that. I think. And I think the fact that it's closing off ten years. Well, it closed off eight years essentially with all the songs on it. It's I'm proud of it, uh, and I, I still am proud of it. And I, I hope people are bored of it or anything. You know, I hope I hope it still holds up. Yeah, I think. Um, well. Just to go back to your mention of Dave Carter there, it's funny, um, when he died, I, I don't know whether this is true for anybody else, but I th I, maybe it's the case when anybody dies, um, you wonder how much right you've got necessarily to be upset or to to care as much as you might do, or uh, and like and where you fall in comparison to, to family or other friends or other people that know them. And it's uh, it's funny you mention because... As I mentioned at the start of the show, I'm a little hungover today and I was having a few beers last night and I, I ended up flicking onto some GSD Cardinals videos and uh, a lot of stuff from back then looks like it's been filmed on a potato and it's not very nice to watch. <laughs> but it brings back the memories and I I don't often dream about other people, but the other day I, I, I he, he'd presented himself in a dream and I'd been thinking about him and we put a little tribute to him in our volume two CD. But I think going back to the vinyl, you're right, it's something that you want to live on. Yeah. Because I think a CD, and we've done we've done 100 CDs of Vol 1 and 100 of Vol 2 and we've sold them out. Yeah. And it's it's been okay. Uh, I feel like if I was to think about where they've ended up, they're going to be in car glove boxes or they're going to be in lofts with everybody else's CD collection because yeah. nobody tends to buy CDs anymore. And I, I almost feel that selling those, I don't know, almost like some, some sort of guilt trip of like, 
buy please this. Sir, please buy my buy CD, this. Please. <laughs> Whereas, you're right. If you design a nice vinyl record now, then yeah. it can be part. It can sit. No, I mean, who has who has a CD collection anymore? Nobody. But people have record collections. Not only the delve into. No, and I think you know, coloured vinyl or a nice designed record is definitely something that people are a lot more likely to uh, to be interested in. Yeah. I mean, I haven't necessarily said anything to anyone in Let Man Loose yet. Uh -huh. But uh, keep, stay tuned in right. the Let Man Loose world about the thing that people that are listening to the audio won't be able to see. Yeah. <laughs> but you've seen it and I've seen it and it's all very exciting, isn't it? Matt's just had his dick out. <laughs> I can't. I can't sell that to. Well, I probably could sell it to people. I think we're getting a little bit sidetracked here. Yeah. <laughs> so I assume that when you get round to the Black Delta Movement's second album, that you'll be putting that on record as well. Yeah. Um, how's the How's the second album going? Is it a change of sound? Is it a change of direction? Uh, and how far along with you? It's are you? Um. I think the direction's changed a little bit, but I think it's just I've tried to I've tried to like push my songwriting forward. Um, so obviously, preservation was like seven years of songs. A lot of them were. I'm I'm very minimal with how many chords I used. Fucking song. Um, but this one, I've tried to kind of use different styles and write different lyrics and different like. I mean, like, this is something I've been trying to do whilst we've been in lockdown is they're trying to change my technique a little bit. Um, so I've, since, since probably June last year, I've been sat on my own at my locker three nights a week minimum until midnight or whatever like that, just trying to write and write and write and write. And, and now I've, <clears throat> I've got, um, I've got demos all sorted now with their mic at Ivano Studios. And we're actually supposed, we should have been recording it this month, which is really, really gutting because um, obviously this year is the 10th anniversary of the BDM. And on the 11th of September, it's obviously 10 years since we um, taught, uh, did our first gig. So I actually had a really, we had a really, really big thing lined up for that. I can't really say in the minutes we don't know exactly what's going on, but I think the album's going to be put back by about two or three months, really. But it's going to get pressed on vinyl. It's going to get put through Club Club Records again, which is my, obviously my label. Um, and I've got a lot lined up with it, but I wouldn't want to jinx it by saying, but there's a, there's a really great producer who I've been chatting to and his presence and his... There's a few really, really incredible musicians who schedules allowing um, seem very keen to, well, it, it's pretty much dead set that they're going to come play on it with us, uh, with me. And um, the album itself, from what I've written so far, it's a bit of a, without being too deep and wanky, it's a bit of a, a, a love story to the BDM in a weird way. Like, it's about um, how dysfunctional the band's been. Like, it, it, it's weird. I thought about the other night, because obviously I've got a lot of time to think now. And um, we've we've been mixed with both the best and worst luck, I think. 
Like we've had the best look of tours and supports or some stuff, but the worst look of the fact that there have been so many things that have almost happened that have fallen through for shitty reasons. Like we, we well, I've I've not really said much to many people, but we we got offered to play South by Southwest twice, and both times we couldn't do it. And there's a there's a lot of different things, and it's so it's kind of the whole album is a bit of a kind of you know get it out there. And in May, I was kind of thinking, well, this could be the last BDM album, or it could be the start of quite a few. So get in there, get in there. So once once I get all this lockdown, I've written, I think I've written five songs in the last week. So there could be a third album in there. Who knows? <laughs> I need to sort myself out. I've spent so long thinking about who I can get on a live stream this week that I've not written any songs. Oh, um, mate, don't worry, man. I'm not saying these songs are any good. They're all fucking shit. But <laughs> Well, I'd like to think that we've got almost an hour of good chat on the yes. record. Um, I just noticed in the comments, uh, Matt Robinson, the guitarist from GST Cardinals, who we were discussing a few moments ago, has just given a wave. If uh, it'd be nice to talk to Matt on a future episode of this, if if you're interested, Matt. Um, yeah, we've got a few minutes left. If anyone watching wants to ask Matt a question, please um, please get that in now. I uh, it's taking a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, my battery's running a little bit low, so I again, like we said earlier, you learn from your mistakes, and I'll make sure that when I kick tomorrow's episode yeah. off, that I'm going to have a full charge. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we've got a few minutes if anyone's got a question for Matt. Is there anything you want to talk about, Matt? Anything, any info you want to get out there or a question for me? Um, I don't really know. I don't really thought about it that far, really. I've just been talking that much shit. I've kind of lost track of it. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know. I just, I just hope we can get back out gigging again soon. Yeah. This is it. It's 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 a weird time, and I, and I do think that like venues and everything like that are gonna be the last to go back. I, I don't think we're gonna get back until July at the earliest, really. But um, I know it's weird. I, I I miss it, and you know whether stuff like Humber Street session stuff happens. Uh, we'll, I'm trying we'll... not to think about that at the moment. I mean, for anyone that doesn't know, Hull uh, Humber Street Sesh is a yearly festival. A sort of a culmination of the weekly sesh night, which we were talking about earlier. Mm. Uh, 30, 40,000 people come and watch Hull Bands, plus a few up-and-coming emerging national acts. And I, as of January, I moved to the marina area, so I, I'm looking out my window now, and I can see down the length of Humber Street. Mm. And to be honest, I went for a, a walk this morning to, to get some fresh air and some sun and buy some essentials. And I was really thinking, like, I'm, I'm trying not to get, I'm trying not to well up today because it's Easter weekend, Easter Saturday. It's been a glorious sunny day, and this is why I moved here to go down the bars of Humber Street with my friends and have a drink. And I can see it, and it's totally deserted, and it's, it's absolutely shit. It's shite. Also, I just noticed Matt Barrett asking about the box. Um, so that's so it. your guitar. Yeah, um, that was from eBay, Hungarian eBay, and I got it for the right price of 1300 quid, which is dead cheap for them. Um, so yeah, it's my part of joy. And then my mate Leon, who works at Regent Sounds in London, 
um, he pimped it out for me and did, we did all the electrics. And now it's flipping ace. I love a custom guitar. I customised my black Mustang. So I think like like your Vox, probably like the only one of its kind in the world. And then I recently traded it for a Jazzmaster. And it's as much as I've, I needed a Jazzmaster and I had two Mustangs. I didn't have any need to have two Mustangs. But something about the fact that knowing that I sent that guitar, that there was only one of its kind in the world, out into the world, never to be seen by me again, yeah, is a little, a little upsetting, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why I don't sell any of my guitars. That's why I've still got every guitar I've ever bought, because I can't bear the thought of selling them. Like, I've been playing my Jazzmaster again, because I've just pimped that out as well. But, um, yeah, <clears throat> it's... it's um... I, I couldn't sell them. I, I don't think I could do it. I think even if I got destitute, I'd think I'd rather cut a leg off or something. I'd love to keep hold of every single one of my guitars, but I've a limited income, I guess, to, to spend on guitars. And for me, they've always been a little like cars. You you outgrow one or it, it served its purpose. So you look for the one that can serve uh, what you're looking for next, whether that's sound or, I mean, we hate to say it, but it's true how it looks or... Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, at the moment. His image is massive, um, but I, 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 I mean, I, I'm not on a big income by any means. I'm like, minimum wage, part time hours or whatever. But I just, I, I spend money elsewhere. You know, so I save money elsewhere. But like, I've just noticed Billy asking about pedals. Like, I started getting really into pedals recently, and I know, like, I know Billy obviously appreciates all this shit. But as my favorite pedal, <clears throat> I got a full turn. Um, tremolo and I think it's 180 quid and it's class and I, I wanted the, I want the perfect tremolo version this is again with Leon who did out my box and it's ace it's just such a nice pedal and that's the thing I've, I spend more money on pedals now than I do like wanting to buy guitars I'm the same I, I've always been into pedals and I think the one area where I sort of do myself out of some options is I find, I buy a new pedal, I find the sound that I like out of that pedal and then I leave it there and it's either on or off. Oh yeah. I mean, every pedal has got thousands of potential sounds and I'm, I'm really sort of doing myself out of those options by not bending down between songs and tweaking them or I mean, if it works, stuff like that. But I mean, I, I, my friends used to laugh at me like, like I was using some sort of dance mat. The amount of pedals I'd turn on and off in a break of a song or something like that. And, and Billy asked, I suspect that for Let Man Loose, a favourite pedal would be something around the PDF. Absolutely, that pedal has been on at least half of the songs we've recorded so far. I would, I couldn't recommend Stone Death Effects enough. I think they're based out of Manchester, all handmade stuff. And I've got the PDF. And Jamie has a fig thumb, I believe it's called. Not a big thumb, Matt. Fig thumb. And he's got a trashy blonde, I believe. Or have I got that wrong? No, he's got a warp drive. So that's where we get all our sort of Queens of the Stone Age, Caius-inspired tones. All right, Matt. I've enjoyed chatting to you a great deal tonight. Thank yeah. you for joining in and getting involved with this. No sweat. No problem. It was, it was fun. Yeah, so thank you to everybody else for, I'm going to say it, I, don't, I think I've avoided saying this, tuning in. I, I don't think I've said any <laughs> words more regularly than tuning in for the last three days. <laughs> the 
thanks for tuning in. Please tune in tomorrow for another another natter. I'm talking to Max Lilly from Bloodhound tomorrow, so that should be a good a good hour of uh, nonsense. Yes, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be uh, tuning in. Ah, <laughs> yeah, cool, man. Nice one. Well, cheers for having us, Mark. Yeah, look after yourself and the same to everybody else out there. Just yeah, keep and go be a knobhead, stay indoors. Yeah, you can go out, you can enjoy the sun, but just be be responsible. Yeah, like, be two metres is two metres. It's yeah. People do not seem to know what two metres is. I think oh, I might okay. take some sort of big spike out with me, like, yeah. spin it around. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, now. And on that. Time for genocide. <laughs> right, on that. Let's call it a night. Yeah. All right, mate. I'll see you soon. Goodbye. Thank you for Bye. tuning in.